Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We're going to talk today a little bit about the situation going on in Ukraine. I hope you're praying for Ukraine and for the Christians there. It's very tragic. I have a memory from my teenage years of my dad, who's a pastor, teaching at the seminary. Uh, in I think it was, it's a seminary connected with Master Seminary in, in Ukraine. It's not an extension. I don't remember exactly what the affiliation is, but uh, he went over there and taught on the Book of Acts, and then he brought back for us, not just pictures and memories and things like that, but he brought us back physical, tangible things, some chocolate, and uh, and, and I think he has a Ukrainian doll still, or a Russian doll, I'm not actually sure, but he got it in Ukraine in his office, and then he brought us all back hats, Soviet-era hats, I still have mine, uh, that uh, definitely keep you warm, and uh, I, I do wear it sometimes. My wife, she doesn't like it if I wear that in public, but I have my, my Ukrainian hat, and um, it, there are Christians there, you know, uh, there, I don't have a strong connection with Ukraine, but I'm just very aware of, uh, through my dad's experience, that there are Christians there who love the Lord, and uh, the Lord has his people in every place, and uh, all over the world, and just about at every place, and so um, pray for the Christians there in particular. Uh, I know that this is a challenging time, I'm sure, for them, and it's going to be challenging for, uh, as, as things develop, a lot of other countries as well. And we're going to talk about some of this. So I want to say two things up front before we get into it. This is kind of a bonus episode. I realize not all of you come to this channel because you want to hear about my thoughts on topics outside of social justice and Christianity. And I'm not going to be talking so much about social justice and Christianity. I might mention a few things as they come to mind, but that's that's not the purpose of this podcast. I really do want to talk about the geopolitical situation. So uh, if you're here for the social justice and Christianity stuff and that's it, then, you know, you can feel free to skip this. It's totally fine. I, I know I've had some people, uh, it, very few, I, I, I'm only thinking of two. There's probably more at this point because I don't read all the comments sometimes, but on YouTube and Facebook who have uh, give, given me a little pushback for things I've already posted about this situation, just saying really that the American media is lying about it because they are, and uh, the insinuation that I'm pro, pro-Russian or buying into Russian propaganda or... Uh, I'm not staying in the lane that I should be in, that I don't really know what I'm talking about when I talk about this stuff. So uh, I, I know that some of that's out there. Some people think that. And uh, if you think that, you know, feel free to skip this one. You know, that's totally fine. Uh, and I'm not pretending to be an expert on geopolitics at all. But I, I, do, uh, I do have a mind. I do use it. And I, I do try to exercise the same kinds of uh, discernment, the same filter I have when I'm looking at the social justice and Christianity stuff, I, I exercise the same uh, level of discernment, I try to at least, when I'm looking at other issues as well, including this one. So um, I, I also you know, do have a degree in history. I did have to study some, uh, at some level, some European history. So I, I do know a little bit, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to be an expert here or pass myself off as an expert. And if there are resources you think would help me, understand this better, please feel free to share them in the comments section. I would definitely appreciate that. But I want to share with you, the purpose of this podcast is I want to share with you some of the media sources and commentary uh, as well that I'm looking at because it's a lot different. I, I really do think it is important for us to break out of the prevailing narrative that seems to be, I, I don't know if it's across the Western world, but it's certainly in the United States, and I suspect across the Western world uh, and the, certainly the English-speaking world uh, about this whole situation. 
because it, it's more nuanced. They're, like most situations, it's more complicated than we're being told. There, there's definitely a white hat, black hat kind of simple binary going on, good guys, bad guys. And it's just quite, it's not quite that simple. You know, it is possible to have situations. As Christians, we should totally be uh, fine at acknowledging and entertaining the thought that there are situations where you have multiple bad guys. And this may be one of those situations in some ways. Uh, so I, I want to, to just flesh out some of the things that I've been researching on this, because I, I do want to understand it. And, uh, and, and my understanding, of course, is not going to be comprehensive in every way, but, uh, but there are some things that, so, some holes in the narrative that is playing out on our televisions and radios right now. I know because I've turned on uh, the radio, and every time I turn it on and I, I hear about this situation, I just got to turn it off. I, I just, I can't believe some of the things I'm hearing. And then the same thing on, on the television for the most part. So I, I want to share with you some of the sources that I have found helpful for me in understanding this. Uh, what I see right now, let me give you big picture stuff here. I see a reflexive move, okay? So we're supposed to immediately, uh, with, without really a lot of conversation about this particular topic and background knowledge, and that seems obvious to me, the media people commenting. And I even, I was listening to a nationally syndicated talk show host today. I think he's the third most popular, if I'm not mistaken, uh, talk show host on the conservative in conservative media, and it just was obvious to me this guy has no clue what he's talking about. And not that I'm an expert, but I'm like, I think I just in, in my reading over the past few days on this situation, uh, that it seems like he doesn't know. He's not as quite as informed as even I am on on this. And I, I I don't I'm not trying to you know put myself out there like I'm you know I really don't feel I know I have a full grasp on this. But we're getting a lot of ignorance, like real ignorance from. Uh, our own media, it's just failing us. I'm, and I'm talking about supposed alleged conservative media as well in this. There's a reflexive move. You, you have to immediately take a side. And if you don't fully embrace uh, the, the, the prevailing narrative that Putin is this horrible aggressor in the vein of Hitler, and he is uh, invading in order to bring back the Soviet Union, and his intention is to take over the world, and he must be opposed at all costs. If that's not your uh, feeling on this, then it, it seems like you deviate a little bit. You are immediately in this pro-Putin camp, or, or you're, you're just, you must love Putin. You must love Russia. You're pro-Russian or something, which is, that's ridiculous. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself at all pro-Putin. Uh, in fact, uh, I, there's a lot of things about Putin that, quite frankly, uh, disturb me to some extent. But I, I will say this for the guy, uh, and, and well, we're going to go through some of this, so I don't want to. I want to talk about. I have a Putin file in my mind. I want to share with you, but uh, I'll, I'll just kind of give you the, the briefly here. The guy does stand up for his people. He is against the pro LGBT nonsense coming from the West. He is also against globalism. Uh, in a, he's a nationalist, and, and and what I mean by that is he is someone who cares about his nation and puts his nation's interests first. And that is, I mean, I know where this is basic stuff. This should just be kind of, every leader should, in my mind, really be there before the people that elected him uh, and, and to serve his constituents. Every leader should look out for the best things for his people and, and they should see through the nonsense of this, the, this hyper egalitarian push coming from the West 
uh, and from an America pop culture in particular, that, that's kind of a baseline for me. That doesn't mean Putin's like a really good guy. It just means like he's met kind of like a baseline here for like what we should expect at minimum. But so many of our leaders don't even have that. So it, it's, it makes Putin stand out in some ways. And, I, and I've seen some, especially social conservatives, like to, they look to Putin as like, oh, he, he, maybe he is a good guy. So some people are legitimately thinking that. I don't know how, how big of a group that is. I tend to think it's a pretty small group. But there are some social conservatives who do think that because they read Putin's speeches and they see his rhetoric is pro-family. And it's against some of the, even even in this situation, it's going to come up. And I'll show you from uh, the last speech he gave on this, uh, on the Ukraine situation. It comes up even in that. He sees himself as standing against the decadence streaming from the West. And, you know, what do you say about that? I mean, maybe, you know, there's some bad qualities. I'm sure there are. I know there are. But you have that on the other hand, right? And that's not even a base, a basic baseline that most of our leaders can meet. So, uh, so, so that's, that's Putin, and, I, and I'll flesh the, that out a little more. I'll, I'll bring some more description to that. But uh, we, we can't view him with any positive of any kind. There, there is no positive in Russia. They are the big villain. They're equivalent to the Nazis. That's, that's what we're hearing. And we have to react kind of reflexively to this. Immediately, we got to be against them. We got to be willing to make sacrifices. The gas prices go up. Well, that's just the sacrifice that we got to make for opposing uh, this horrible person. The other thing is, of course, and I've just already mentioned, is the media is lying about this. And, and so that's another interest I have in this is this is really the thing that made me from the beginning decide, OK, I'll do a little podcast on it because I've heard and I haven't listened to a lot of media, but every time I turn on the radio, I'm, I feel like I'm hearing a lie in Biden's speech today. I'm recording this on the, tw- the n- evening of the 24th, by the way, for, the, for those uh, who are curious. Uh, I, I heard lies in Biden's speech. He actually, he lied about Putin's, the, uh, the speech Putin just gave and talked about Putin's ambitions to invade all these other countries and Putin doesn't even talk about it in his speech. It, it, he just expects, I, it's just amazing to me. You expects a room full of reporters to just buy it and then they do. They don't even ask him about it, which uh, maybe then some of them didn't have an opportunity, but I heard a Rome report I, I turned on uh, a few days ago, I think I might have mentioned this in, in a previous podcast that uh, they were again, they were talking about Putin's speech. And it was I was like, I read Putin's speech like what you're just speculating on the thoughts in his mind. And maybe your speculation is correct, but it is speculation. And people in, in a straight news report, maybe I'm old fashioned, but you shouldn't be inserting speculation into that or at least tell people you're speculating when you are. Uh, I, I was listening to a talk show host today, and it was it was completely reflexive. It was uh, just bashing anyone who would uh, disagree with that prevailing narrative about Russia and Putin and their interests in the area, and just the assumption behind all of it was just that this is all due to an attempt at aggressively taking over territory uh, and it's some kind of imperialism. That's that's all it is. There's really not much more uh, de- description or uh, discussion. And, uh, and, and maybe there's some websites, and, or, or not websites, but there's some, some talk shows, mainstream news talk shows that are doing a better job of this. I know of one, that is, uh, Tucker Carlson. But for the most part, I'm not seeing really educated, nuanced discussions of this. It's, just, it's a vilification process. And so 
that that makes me very skeptical of the media. I'm already skeptical, but it, it makes me wonder why. Why is this narrative so important, this black and white narrative? Uh, and then, um, of course, the other thing that, I, that makes me want to do a podcast on this is the push for globalism and the use of the term democracy over and over. We've seen this with January 6th. We've seen this with Justin Trudeau in Canada now. Uh, we've, we, we see this actually all the time with the voter law uh, issue, uh, voter idea issue. It, the, the constant word that is brought up uh, against Donald Trump, right, against anything right wing, it seems like is democracy. We have to preserve democracy, and it's the justification for preserving democracy uh, is a blank check. You must sacrifice everything. That's the assumption that seems to be behind this is if we can make whatever purpose we have, whatever cause we have, if we can make it so that it's in the name of democracy, that's our purpose, then nothing else seems to matter really. We can just... Uh, we, we can drive that bill up as far as we want. We can sacrifice as much as we want. And if it's in the name of democracy, then it, it's worth it. And what I, I see a connection between this and globalism, to be quite honest with you, at this point. I'm not saying it's always been like this, but the, the way it's being used now, uh, be, and the reason is because of all the hypocrisy. The, the people that are deploying this are the same people that don't seem to care about democracy in their own countries. Uh, we, we just had an election where there was a lot of funny business and yeah, we, we don't care about you know, that. Uh, in fact, we'll deploy the word democracy against the, the quote unquote conspiracy theorists who we won't ever engage in argument about that issue. Uh, you know, with the trucker issue going on right now, the, it's, it's, they're against democracy. When it's like, but isn't, that, isn't what we're seeing, isn't that protest, isn't that a manifestation of democracy in some way? It, it's, it's a word that, that is often used, and it's often used uh, when against a national groups, or uh, if, if the nation doesn't do or vote or you know, support some kind of a globalist agenda thing, uh, then it's like, then all of a sudden, well, in the name of democracy, uh, we need to, to put an end to, to this protest against our plan. Uh, we saw it with the COVID stuff. We've seen it with just, I mean, it, BLM was democracy in action, apparently, but not the truckers, right? It, it's this word that has lost, in my mind, it's kind of lost its meaning. And, and, it, and I don't know what it means anymore. Other than, does it just mean, I don't know, global interests must be preserved? Is that what democracy means now? Uh, it's, it's deployed in weird ways. And it makes me suspicious of when it's used, to be quite honest. And look, our country's a republic, right? It's not, it's not a democracy, technically. It is a republic. But, uh, but, but generally, when people have used the word democracy, I tend to think of, of a vote. People vote, and they have a choice. They have a say, right? Democracy. I'm not so. I'm not sh certain that's what it quite means anymore. I, I, that's almost. Sometimes it's used that way, but it's behind it is this assumption that only if the public affirms a certain viewpoint is it democracy. If they don't, it's not democracy anymore. Somehow, so if you have a region in Ukraine that's pro-Russian, right? In that particular region, if democracy would dictate, 
that region wants to be part of Russia, let's say, and you can put this in the hypothetical realm if you prefer, but it's no longer democracy at that point. It's, it's again, so, so who, so the popular sovereignty goes out the window. It's democracy doesn't matter. Um, it, it's, it, it makes me wonder what's the interest then? What's behind this shield that's being put up with our purposes are pure because we love democracy. So yes, I'm being critical right now of our media, uh, of, of American foreign policy at this moment in time in some ways. I'm being so, not even critical, I'm being suspicious. Uh, it may be somewhat critical. Um, that does not mean though, and I gotta say this very clearly, it doesn't mean I'm not critical of Putin. It doesn't, we can look at this situation and see uh, multiple bad guys. That's very possible. Multiple self-interested people uh, that have nefarious interests even. Uh, so I don't have to be a big Putin fan for any of this. I, and and I, I see what Putin's doing is uh, with the limited knowledge I have is an aggressive action that uh, we would all prefer he did not do and we're praying for Ukraine. So, so why did he do it? Why did he do it? That's what I want to answer. I want to answer some of these questions. I want to give you some information and I want to give you um, links in the info section that of some things that have helped me and maybe some sources that you can go to and just buy, bypass this narrative, okay? Bypass the simplistic, just black and white, shallow narrative and, and really understand this issue. Uh, I mean, you can sit there watching Fox News or CNN for your whole afternoon and just have a replay of the same talking points. Or you can take that same time, if, if in fact you are doing that kind of thing, uh, and you can put it into actually understanding the situation. And that's kind of what I believe in. Let's really understand this. And then we're going to have make a better educated decision. But if we're not informed, then then it's very difficult to. And, uh, and, and so I realized um, one other thing before I get into some of the websites I want to show you. This can be stressful for some. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things going on, especially in the media. The, I mean, war with Russia. I mean, even that word uh, harkens back to Cold War era fears. And I just want to remind everyone: look, God is in control. It's. Uh, I think the media right now wants to drum up fear, and I'm not saying that there aren't things to be afraid of. Uh, not afraid of. There are things to be afraid of. There certainly are. But we only have so much influence, and our votes our biggest influence. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, we, we can petition uh, the people who represent us because we are a republic. Uh, we can seek to convince friends. We can, uh, but, but I, I, I think understanding the situation um, helps drive away fear in, in some ways. When you, you, you tend to fear the things you don't understand. And if Russia is just this mysterious Nazi-esque country with a horrible thug dictator who is bent on controlling the world and has nuclear weapons, if that's all you know, then yeah, I mean, you're going to be pretty scared. I think understanding the situation uh, helps us not be quite as fearful uh, as well. So trust the Lord and then understand the situation, which is what we're uh, going to be doing some. So what are the reasons for this? Uh, I'm going to get into it, and I will um, also be pointing out I have a list of like eight or nine <laughs> hypocritical things coming from the narrative uh, that I see in our media uh, with some of the, some of the, and some of the people uh, who are propagating it. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, let's, let's start here, if I may. Let's see, actually, I have so many websites pulled up right now. I'm trying to debate where I want to start with all this. We'll start here. 
This is a book that uh, you can get on Audible. That's where I got it. I'm not sure if there's a print version. There probably is. But I, I found it very helpful if you're trying to understand this situation. It's called Ukraine, What Everyone Needs to Know by uh, Serhai Yekelchik. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But And then it's narrated by Joel Richards. You can get it on uh, Audible. And it is uh, kind of like an encyclopedia, but very suited it came out in 2020 the end of 2020 actually it is very suited for the conflict that is going on right now and so uh it'll bring you to the present and i just found it very helpful in understanding this whole entire situation so if you have the time and i know for working class people who like to listen to audible audiobooks i would recommend just getting this and just on you know listening to it and if you listen to it at like double or triple speed you get through it faster and and you'll just get a basic understanding and just just a, a uh foundation for understanding the rest of it and i you know I realize sometimes this can be dangerous depending on the, the bias that you're getting from uh the, the author uh to me i this seemed very fair-minded to me uh, this seemed like someone who i'm sure has a bias because everyone does but seemed really bent on trying to give the facts and not being um too anti-Russian or anti-Ukraine, but just here's the situation. And it's a messy situation. I mean, Ukraine's borders uh, have been drawn and redrawn, and it's uh, you have different segments uh, of the population in different regions that feel differently, and are there's different ethnic makeups and linguistic makeups and religious makeups, and uh, you have that complication um, mixed with a political situation that pits them between the East and the West. And the question right now, one of the big ones is, who are they going to be pawns for? And, uh, and you know, John, why would you say that about a sovereign country? Well, because Ukraine also, one of the things you'll, you'll learn uh, in going through this is, they, especially in the last uh, few decades, have been known, they are known to be extremely uh, dysfunctional and corrupt. And it's no surprise that our own president and his son got into issues uh, in Ukraine specifically because that's that's the reputation ukraine has uh so uh, i would just recommend download this book if you have the time and read it and, and you'll have a lot more educated discussions with people uh there has been one of the things that you'll learn is there has been a war in donbass which is the region that uh, putin is very concerned about it's uh, got i believe it, the population is it's a russian plurality not meaning not a majority, but a plurality, I believe. But there's, but more importantly than that, there's a, there seems to be at least, according to some, a pro-Russian uh, majority there. So even people who might not be ethnically Russian, they identify with Russia. It was an, one of the regions that was more pro-Soviet during the uh, Cold War. And uh, this region has been in conflict really since 2014. Uh, and if you remember in 2014, that whole kerfuffle that took place, and uh, we, we might talk about that a little more later, because if you understand that, you see, it, this is an extension of that, this, this current situation. Um, and I find it super ironic. Do, do you not find the super ironic that we have in 2014, the whole situation uh, with Russia and Ukraine, and the U.S. got very involved in that. Of course, we didn't uh, come in with military. We, we threatened a lot. We did the same thing that Biden's doing now right? Uh, sanctions, Obama put sanctions on Russia, same kind of thing. And there was a pause <laughs> during Donald Trump. 
that didn't happen. And now all of a sudden Biden's president, now it's happening again. I just, I'm just pointing this out. Seems like Putin didn't want to poke the bear when Trump was in office. Isn't that a little ironic to you? Uh, the pro-Russian president, right? Wasn't I thought Donald Trump was supposed to be controlled by Moscow. Uh, he was, uh, it was Russiagate, right? Um, but of course, Putin doesn't take advantage of his friendship with Trump. I'm just telling you, there's a narrative that's not working here. And the same people, some of the same people, I should say, like CNN and MSNBC, the same people giving you the current narrative are the same ones that fed you the Russiagate narrative. So uh, we, it, it just seems like there's a hole already there in some ways, or it could be, there could be. So anyway, there's been conflict there for a while. And, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't been able to have the time to dig deeply into I mean, look how complicated this is. This is just a Wikipedia page for this particular conflict. This is complicated. Uh, there are a lot of different battles and facets and, or, or just situations, and there are battles. Uh, this has been going on for a while. And there have been casualties, and children have been casualties. And it's, it's just interesting to me that Putin seemed to indicate in his last speech there were millions, right? Um, in the book uh, that I showed you, uh, the, the estimates are <laughs> range from like 5,000 to 50,000 as far as how many people have died. I really don't know. Uh, I haven't looked into it enough. But there, the, the point is, though, there is a conflict and it hasn't been resolved. And the status quo is that it hasn't been resolved in that particular region. And that's not the only region, but that's, that's one of the, the regions in contention uh, right now. Uh, so that's that's one thing you have to understand i mean how many media group outlets are even reporting about this i mean it, it seems like unprovoked you know the russians just moved in well here's the thing like like out of nowhere there was no reason for it is just completely greedy about territory and bringing back the glory of the soviet union yeah i'm not saying that couldn't be a factor in this but there's some more immediate things that putin's actually talking about and this is one of them and, and I don't see media outlets, at least the ones that I've um, frequented in the mainstream, talking about it. So uh, I just want you to be aware of that. The other thing that to be aware of is that the U.S. gives an incredible amount of foreign aid to Ukraine, including military. 40% of their foreign aid is military. And this is before this whole incident. Uh, you can look at this chart here, and it's increased. Uh, here's 2014, okay? And look how much it's increased since then. I mean, it's increased a lot. We're at 679, actually, it's a round up. It's almost 680 million in 2020, total U.S. foreign aid to Ukraine. 40% of that's military. Why? Why are they giving so much uh, aid to Ukraine in this way? Well, I mean, it's obvious. It's because Russia's right there. Uh, that's a big part of it. And the fear that Putin has is that Ukraine is going is under the orbit of the United States. In fact, we uh, were, meaning the United States, was very much behind a coup in 2014. And I'll, I'll get to that. But there, Ukraine is, uh, there was an opportunity for Ukraine to kind of be more in Russia's orbit. And there was an open question. And since 2014, especially, it has been more, uh, the government at least, in the orbit of the United States and uh, possibly NATO. And uh, that's one of Putin's big fears. So, and we'll get to that. Now, here's where uh, I like to go to for reporting on the issues. In fact, I'll even refresh it now to see if there's something new coming up. 
There is, actually. Uh, one hour ago, Ukraine orders general mobilization, announces new death toll. So uh, I'll click on that. I'll read the story. This is the Epoch Times. Uh, I do pay for a subscription to the Epoch Times uh, because, and it says, uh, oh, let's see here. Allow. Um, let's see, where's the death? I'm looking for the death toll. By the time I, uh, you're listening to this, though, it'll probably be, uh, it says local time that 137 people have been killed. It's very tragic, and 316 were wounded. Um, now, that's, I don't want to downplay this, but that is, for an invasion, that's that's not a high number, necessarily. Uh, that's, um, so so we, we can see perhaps um, a silver lining there, but it doesn't take away from the fact that uh, the 137 people have died. So please be in prayer for their families. Uh, this is, a good website, though, the Epoch Times, in my opinion. I, I think there's there, there's good information. They are definitely, they, they have a bias against communism, right? But that's a that's certainly a bias I'm aware of, and uh, that's, I want to support them because I, I think their voice is important to be out there. I can listen to the pro-communist voices all day, but uh, I don't get a lot of uh, anti-communist voices. And they're very aware of what's happening in China, which I appreciate, because China, in my mind, is, is the big geopolitical threat. Not Russia quite as much. Uh, it's, it really is China. So we'll talk about that, too, later. But the Epoch Times, great um, place to just get general reports. You know, here's what happened. Now, I am a big believer, big believer, that uh, we need to go to primary sources as much as I, I I'm really am big on this. If you really want to understand an issue in history, but it applies today to journalism uh, in current situations, go to the primary sources. Okay, if there was a speech, we don't all have time to listen to every speech. So it's sometimes good to find a good secondary source. Uh, I mean, that's what you're doing listening to me. You're listening to a, uh, someone who's giving you information. But if you really want to understand the issue, don't listen to me. Go to the primary sources. Look at the websites. The problem is right now, if this was going pretty well until today, uh, multiple government websites in Russia, including the Kremlin and the state Duma, have fallen offline. Uh, and the incident comes amid a spate of cyber attacks targeting neighboring Ukraine. So both their websites are down. Now, fortunately, I have uh, some uh, some of these websites. I, on the Wayback Machine, I was able to get the latest uh, from uh, actually, oh, this is February uh, 25th. So that would be, so it's, actually this isn't that long ago, earlier in the day. Uh, I was able to get some of the statements from the president of Ukraine, and uh, and and they're they're very short. <laughs> they're and and you can get them in English, which is great. Uh, and they're they're very simple. Um, he compares them to Nazis. It, it's actually very similar to the narrative that uh, I hear in the American media, interestingly enough. And there's really not a whole lot of uh, I don't know. It, it, there's. He's not making much of a case or an argument, not saying that he doesn't in other places, but most of this is pretty much what you can expect. It's this short generally, and it's uh, it's it's trying to uh, get support for Ukraine and uh, boost morale against Russia and really vilify Russia. And uh, it's very similar to the news reports that we're hearing in our country. Now, uh, the one thing that's not down is their Twitter account. So you can go to their Twitter account and you can see uh, there, and it's the same kind of thing. Uh, it's, you know, they're trying to petition Twitter to remove Russia from the platform. They want to get Russia canceled from Twitter. 
uh, they that's that's their uh, like man that's interesting. <laughs> it, it's we it's a little weird to me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't know who runs Ukraine's Twitter, but like that wouldn't be the first thing on my mind. I'm not saying that that I don't even I don't know I don't know. It's like getting Russia removed from Twitter seems kind of low on the priority list, but that's that's what we're seeing. Uh, th there's other like for instance this they posted this uh, less than a day ago. Um, here's Hitler giving Putin a, well, acting like he's proud of Putin. He's kind of looking at him the way an uncle would look at his uh, nephew or something. I don't know. And, I mean, it's weird to me because this is an official government website. And Ukraine says, this is not a meme, but our, but our and your reality right now. Um, I don't know what to say about this. I, I'm not, certainly not anti-Ukraine, but I am wondering why in the world their social media looks this uh unprofessional and um i don't know what they're tr i don't know it, it, it seems like it's someone who's it, it just doesn't seem very mature to me I, I don't i don't i'm trying to struggle to even come up with the words to describe this i mean if your country's being invaded you fear for your life i don't know why you'd be posting stuff like this and trying to get russia booted off twitter uh and i mean is Russia doing so much damage on Twitter? I mean, let, let's go to Russia's Twitter, actually. We'll go there. Let's go there right now. President of Russia. Here's their Twitter. Uh, if I mean, if you click on... Here's the latest one from seven hours ago. Uh, I mean, look. I mean, it's, it's people... It's people... The people commenting are all against Putin. They hate Putin. So, it's, it's not like Russia's Twitter is being... Is, is making much of a difference in this conflict, I wouldn't think, but Ukraine's, whoever's running Ukraine's Twitter seems to think so. But that is going to the primary source, at least. You're at least looking at what is Ukraine saying, what is Russia saying, right? And I think you get a better idea that way of uh, the purposes of, of uh, each particular country. Now, Putin, um, he has, he's been putting speeches out. And the one from, uh, the last one from February 24th, where he, um, talks about the military action. Uh, there, people have been saying this is a declaration of war. It's um, and, and and that may be the case, but he he doesn't come out and really say that. The media is uh, whenever they reference his speech, and I've heard references to it, they don't seem to accurately depict it in my mind. There's two issues uh, that come out of this. One is that there's a fear that Ukraine is going to be used by the European Union. And the corruption and, and the coup that happened in 2014 backed by us um, in some ways, and the, uh, uh, the, the neo he talks about, actually, the neo-Nazi contingent in Ukraine that Russians are afraid of, an anti-Russian neo-Nazi contingent. Uh, and that gets more interesting. I read some articles talking about how in 2014, the United States actually backed some neo-Nazi groups in Ukraine. I'll show you the groups later. And uh, they, they are the big anti-Russian uh, groups, apparently, political groups. And I, I just find it interesting. Ukraine's trying to say that Putin's Hitler. And then Putin is saying, well, you have actually neo-Nazi groups in your country. And so they're both kind of like calling each other Nazis, which it, it's just... Okay, like that—that's where we're at. But uh, Putin thinks that it's—it's um, it's unsafe for Russia because if you are part of NATO, and 
uh, one country, if, if you go to war, you know, let's say if, if there's a conflict between Russia and, um, and there already is, right? I already showed you there is a conflict already going on that's unresolved. But if, if it escalates and you have a, a conflict between Russia and Ukraine and the, Ukraine is part of NATO, then the NATO countries all have to pretty much go to war with Russia. And so Ukraine isn't in NATO at this point, but there's a strong pressure. The United States, actually, uh, their interest is to, for what it seems like at least, is they really do want uh, to push NATO farther east and they want Ukraine in NATO. So that's one of the big deals going on here, one of the issues. And so w where do you come down on that? That's, that's a big question, this. Do you think that Ukraine should be part of NATO? Do you think that uh, Ukraine shouldn't be part of NATO, that that would be a threat to Russia, that... Uh, you know, that's depending on where you come down on that question can determine a lot about who you think is in the right or the wrong in this particular situation. Or you could just think that everyone's kind of in the wrong. Uh, that is also a legitimate option here. So um, I'm just trying to, as best I can, just give you what I understand to be the situation. There's, there's an interesting section in this speech. Um, he gives a whole history lesson, by the way. And, and I will say this, okay, I just got done reading a very a, a long biography on Hitler by John Toland. And one of the things that Hitler tended to do in his speeches sometimes, and, and this isn't wrong, this isn't, doesn't make you Hitler to do this, uh, but he would give these history lessons sometimes about, and, and, you know, German greatness would be very much part of it. And I do see something in Putin that is similar to that, but it doesn't mean Putin's Hitler. It just... It, that is, it just did jump out at me a little bit. And, and Putin may have uh, some ambitions that are similar. It, it's possible. I'm not ruling that out at all. But uh, he gives this whole history lesson and uh, talks about uh, Ukraine and uh, the, and, and he talks about the United States and how the United States has gone back on their word on different things. And they've destabilized regions, especially in the Middle East. Uh, but also in Europe through their intervention, and it's been unhealthy, and they're using, basically they're using Ukraine. That's what he's saying. That's what he's implying. They're using Ukraine, and they're, they don't care about the people dying in the Donbass area. They, and, and basically Putin's saying, you know, we're, we're going to protect these people. We identify with them. They're, they're, they're pro-Russian. They're, they're our people, and he's taking ownership of this. And, you know, we've tried all the diplomatic situation, um, ways of, of dealing with this, and it's not working. And you have these far-right nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine. And, uh, and you're going to, what, NATO's going to now have a far-right nationalist and neo-Nazi regime that's, um, and make no mistake about it, Ukraine is not this, you know, great Western democracy in every way. I mean, Ukraine does jail dissidents. It's not, it, it, is, it, it is not quite what it's being painted to be. And and uh, and I'm not getting that from Putin, by the way. I'm just saying that that you, you'll you'll find out some about that when you read that book. But um, but Putin is complaining about some of these things and saying there there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And if it, he says in the name of freedom at the end of this, you know, he, he says even right here, everyone's in the name of freedom. Every everyone in this whole conflict is saying it, they're pro they're pro freedom. But he says in the name of freedom uh, that. They're, they need to defend uh, their homeland against uh, aggressive forces. And so that's what he thinks is happening. And so he thinks that, you know, there's already a conflict. It, it, it can escalate and get worse. And so that's a big part of this. Uh, and, and, and so really, I, I see two things. I see the, the Doombass area as an area that Putin identifies with and, and hears the cries of his people and, you know, wants to 
help them and, and there's no solution. And the other thing is uh, that he cites is this being used by NATO and the United States in particular. Um, and uh, if, if they have a nuclear weapon in Ukraine that NATO puts there, I mean, it, it can get to Russia in, in no time. I mean, you're right next to Russia. So it's, it's like, it's kind of like, think about it this way, actually, because people are comparing this to Hitler and saying it's like Hitler going into the Sudetenland. Well, it's, it, you could also say it's a little bit like the Cuban Missile Crisis in some ways. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, there's, um, you have a, a country and a, an alliance, NATO, that has expressed at least or implied intentions to uh, have Ukraine as a member state. There's already military funding from the United States going to Ukraine and uh, the possibility of a nuclear weapon there and, and forces that could do something to Russia when there's already an open wound that's been going on now for eight years is a daunting prospect. And uh, so, so you, could, you could see almost a parallel that direction as well. Uh, and so, um, so, so Putin, that, that's kind of how he feels about this. Uh, but there's an interesting section. I'm trying to find it, and I'm having a hard time now, where he talks about uh, the whole LGBT type stuff in his speech. I'm like, how did he work that into this? But he did. And, and it, it's fascinating to see how he views this. He talks about global globalism. He says, those who aspire to global dominance have publicly designated Russia as their enemy. They did so with impunity. Make no mistake. They had no reason to act this way. It is true that they have considerable financial, scientific, technological, and military capabilities. We are aware of this and have an objective view of the economic threats we have been hearing, just as our ability to counter this brash and never-ending blackmail. Let me re reiterate that we have no illusions in this regard and are extremely realistic in our assessments, meaning he knows that he's going to be sanctioned, and he is, and they're totally ready for it. He talks about NATO um, inching eastwards. This really happened since the Clinton administration, NATO m moving more eastwards, even by an inch. He reiterates their, the, Russia's commitment to uh, respect the post-Soviet states, with res uh, to treat them with respect, uh, and he's going to respect their sovereignty, So, which is, you know, that's maybe he's lying. It's very possible, but that's what he's saying. Uh, he talks about the, the purpose of the operation, like I said, uh, is to protect the people who for eight years have been facing humiliation and genocide perpetuated by the Kiev regime. To this end, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. That's his purpose, actually. If you really want to boil it down, he wants to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, as well as bring trial to those who perpetuated numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including against citizens of the Russian Federation. Uh, and that would be in the probably the Donbass region there. Um, Russia, there are Russian nationals who work there. Uh, it is not our plan to occupy Ukrainian territory. We do not intend to impose anything on anyone by force. At the same time, we have been hearing an increasing number of statements coming from the West that there is no need anymore to abide by the document setting forth the outcomes of World War II as signed by the totalitarian Soviet regime. How can we respond to this? So they, they fear uh, that treaties will be broken. And... Um, he, he, they want the freedom to independently choose their uh, their future from these threats. That's that's what he's that's the the stated purpose uh, that he has in all of this. Here's the section on uh, the LGBT stuff. He says it, it's a little paragraph, and you would wonder why would this be inserted in a statement about a military action that Russia is taking against Ukraine. This is what he says. Uh, he says. Properly speaking, the attempts to use us in their own interests never ceased until quite recently. 
and uh, they sought, and, and the they he's talking about is the United States and Western partners. They sought to destroy our traditional values and force on us their false values that would erode us, our people from within, the attitudes they have been aggressively imposing on their countries. Attitudes that are directly leading to degradation and degeneration because they are contrary to human nature. This is not going to happen. No one has ever succeeded in doing this, nor will they succeed now. I just thought this was fascinating to me that this, he is setting himself against the West and the United States in particular. And if, if you've looked at any of other Putin's speeches where he talks about this, that's his, he, he brings that up when he brings up LGBT stuff, that it's unnatural. And, you, and that's, that's exactly what he's talking about here. He's saying that they are not going to abide by the egalitarian uh, standards of the West. And, uh, and so this, this is all, can you see the baggage? Can you, that's what I want you to, to see how big this is. Can you see all the baggage that's being brought to this? It's not as simple as I just want territory and I'm invading. And it's, it's for Ukraine. It's not just as simple as we're defending ourselves from invaders. Uh, those two things may very well be true. There's, there's a lot of other stuff, though. It's what uh, the West represents to Russia and to Putin. It, it's decadence. It's evil. It's aggression against them. It's globalism. It's LGBT stuff. That, that's what Putin's seeing. And he sees, and he can't work with the West. That's what he thinks. And, and of course, Ukraine is wanting to, at least the government of Ukraine, uh, seems to want to be more in a Western orbit. Uh, on the LGBT stuff, uh, Ukraine, at least their, their government, protects gay pride marches and these kinds of things. I don't think the population's in favor of that stuff, but... There is a government in place, at least, that is very much more pro-NATO and, uh, and, and the West in general. And, uh, and, and maybe they should. Maybe that's what they, is, would be good for their country. But that's, that's the clash you're seeing here. Uh, and I don't hear this kind of analysis very much. So that's uh, what you get if you go to primary sources on this subject. And there's others you could go to as well. I want to show you some commentators that I like on this. And, of course, I, I read the primary stuff before I would um, – generally, it's good to read the primary stuff before listening to commentary. Of course, I did say read this book first just to get a foundation, a general foundation on Ukraine. But uh, the, the commentators that I like on this particular situation that I've uh, been reading today uh, – and I can't, I can't pronounce this guy's name. I'm sorry. But this gentleman is a foreign affairs editor at the Chronicles magazine. And – I, I think Chronicles has some good stuff on this, to be honest with you. I don't, and I haven't read a lot of Chronicles. I've been aware of them for a few years, but I've come to like them more and more. Uh, and it doesn't mean I agree with everything Chronicles puts out there, but it's a different perspective. It's, it, they're more paleoconservative, whereas on Fox News, you're going to get more of a neoconservative outlook. Uh, and then, of course, on the other networks, you're going to get a, a, just a progressive outlook. So, um, I, I tend to view myself, I think, more and more as a paleoconservative, uh, a Burkean conservative, kind of in the Russell Kirk vein. And I, I appreciate what Chronicles puts out there. So there's some really good argu um, so, some articles. Here's one um, that really just talks about the three scenarios that could play out in this whole uh, situation. And I'm sure by tomorrow we'll know more of what those situations, what those. Uh, uh, what's going on there, uh, which scenario is going to take place. Uh, and then you have um, uh, another gentleman at Chronicles Magazine, uh, Tom uh, Piatek, and uh, he has some good articles here. This is one that, that I thought was good, Winning the War Against War. Uh, 
and and he talks about you like look i am not pro-russian like he's just like i look i, I think what russian's doing is wrong but guess what i really don't want to commit american blood to this I, I don't i don't think it's our business that's his argument now I'm not even saying that I completely am agreeing with everything. I, I'm, I'm a little unsure about where uh, – I'm still figuring it out. That's what I should say. I'm still figuring it out, but I'm very sympathetic to this. Uh, I, I'm in a process, I think, myself in some ways. I think I tended towards a more neocon understanding of uh, foreign policy, and I'm, I'm changing a little bit myself, uh, and that's been a process. So, uh, But he has some a, a good article, uh, and it's short, just – uh, bringing up all the reasons he thinks this would be a bad idea. And uh, so he says um, uh, the American public needs to be reminded instead that one can oppose war with Russia and still think that Russia is wrong to threaten its neighbors. Amen. That's, a, that's how I feel about this. I think most Americans feel this, this way. One can oppose war with Russia and still think its claim to being threatened by a handful of American troops in Poland is a believable as the old czarist and communist claims of being threatened by the very existence of Poland. One can oppose war with Russia, yet believe that, on the whole, Russia's role in world politics has been malign. And, and I, I sympathize with this. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. So um, so he, he uh, says he realizes that the only reason for America to go to war is to defend America and Americans. This position reframes the war debate in a way. Anyway, that, that's his feeling. That's his rule. Uh, he, he talks about the domestic issues going on in America, and, and he makes a great case. We're broke. We are, we, we're not in a good position. We're not in a strong position right now uh, to be going to war, really. And, and that's kind of a problem. Uh, we have domestic issues that are pretty big right now, and it's just we need to strengthen ourselves. And, and I, I, I tend to agree. Um, at the same time, when you look at the way that people are at each other's throats in this country, you wonder how we're going to solve these domestic issues before being able to uh, be um, ready for a, a threat from a nuclear power. It's, it, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But uh, the other one, here's many of you have heard of Pat Buchanan. He ran for president years ago. Uh, but he put out uh, an article, and I, th I think this one's actually worth reading. It's pretty short. Let me, let me read parts of it at least to you. He says, uh, Vladimir Putin demanded the U.S. rule out Ukraine as a future member of the NATO alliance, and the U.S. replied, NATO is an open-door policy. Any nation, including Ukraine, may apply for membership and be admitted. We're not changing that. In the Bucharest Declaration of 2008, NATO put Ukraine and Georgia even farther east uh, on a path to membership in NATO, and uh, the coverage under Article 5 of the treaty, which declares that an attack on any one member is an attack on all. Unable to get a satisfactory answer to his demand, Putin invaded and settled the issue. Neither Ukraine nor Georgia will become members of NATO. To prevent that, Russia will go to war, so as Russia did last night. So this is what it's about, too. It's, it's about preventing uh, Ukraine from becoming part of NATO. Putin did exactly what he had warned us he would do. Whatever the character of the Russian president, now being hotly debated here in the USA, he has established his credibility. When Putin warns that he will do something, he does it. Kind of like Trump, right? 36 hours into his Russia-Ukraine war, potentially the worst in Europe since 1945, two questions need to be answered here. How do we get here and where do we go from here? How do we get to, to where uh, Russia, believing its back is against a wall in the United States by moving NATO even closer, put it there, reached a point where it chose war with Ukraine rather than accepting the fate and future it believes the West has in store for Mother Russia? 
Consider between 1989 and 91, when Gorbachev let the Berlin Wall be pulled down, Germany uh, to be re reunited, and all the captive nations of Eastern Europe to go free. So he's tracing it back to 89. Uh, saying, having collapsed the Soviet Empire, Gorbachev allowed the Soviet Union to dissolve itself into the independent nations, right? And uh, Gorbachev called off the Cold War. Putin, a former KGB colonel, came to power in 99. And after Boris Yeltsin and Putin watched as America conducted a 78-day bombing campaign in Serbia and Balkan nation, which had historically been a protectorate of Mother Russia. That year, also three former Warsaw Pact nations, so the Warsaw Pact is the, the counter to NATO, that's Russia's uh, alliance during the Soviet time. Um, former Warsaw Pact nations, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland were brought into NATO. Uh, against whom were these countries to be protected by U.S. arms and the NATO alliance? The question was fairly asked. The question seemed to be answered fully in 2004 when Slovenia, Slovakia, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Romania, and Bulgaria were admitted into NATO, a grouping that included three former republics of the USSR itself as well as three former Warsaw Pact nations. Then in 2008 came the Bucharest Declaration. That, so anyway, what, he, what he's tracing out is he's saying, look, after the Cold War, that's why you know NATO was around to, to counteract Russia, and communism, and, and what happens? Cold War ends, and they keep growing NATO. So he's saying there's a globalist march going on. And, um, and, and so he, he's saying that's the issue. As Russia's watching this, he's saying, look, they're, they're, the West is trying to swallow up all these former satellite states and the former uh, countries that were previously in Russia. And now... Uh, now Ukraine, right on our front door here. You know, that's what he's saying is like this is what's partially instigated this or created the situation where Putin feels threatened. 2014, a democratically elected pro-Russian president of Ukraine, Viktor Yanukovych, was overthrown in Kiev and replaced by a pro-Western regime. Okay, that some people would call that a coup. Rather than lose Sevastopol, Russia's historic naval base in Crimea, and by the way, they've had that base since the 1700s, Putin seized the peninsula and declared uh, it Russia territory. Teddy Roosevelt stole Panama in a similar, in a similar so he's, he's, he's saying that the United States has done similar things to what Putin's doing. Um, he says Putin uh, is not irrational. Uh, he's a nationalist, patriot, traditionalist, and a cold and ruthless realist looking out to preserve Russia. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if Pat Buchanan's pro-Putin or not. And, um, you know, he, he may also be a thug and a, an evil person and, you know, all those kinds of negative pejoratives uh, as well. But, uh, you know, this is a fair article, at least describing what has led to this. I think that's this is a, this is fair. I mean, and this really again, how do you know this is fair? Well, it, it actually jives with the primary sources we looked at. You know, this gives further description to what Putin was talking about himself. It's not speculating about what's in Putin's mind. It's it's describing it's um, it's talking about the situation Putin has talked about himself. So I, I find this helpful. I find Peter Hitchens, by the way, helpful from the UK. That's Christopher Hitchens' brother. He says, we have pointlessly made an enemy of Russia. I find, I find this to be a helpful article in some ways. And, and he talks about living in Russia as a journalist and uh, the moment that the Soviet Union fell, the opportunity that exists, and the hope that was uh, just in the air when he was there. And that instead of uh, the Americans and the West taking advantage of this situation uh, for the purpose of um, bringing Russia into the world community, because the gripe was not with Russia, it, the, the Russian people, it was with the Soviet government. Instead, 
they, uh, what is his quote, he says, what was unleashed instead was an army of carpetbaggers from the West shouting about the free market who quickly found their match in the crooks and corrupt corruption experts, many of them high communist officials who rushed to exploit and fool them. At the same time, formal democracy was introduced. That is to say, there were some elections, which were, of course, rigged by big money. And in the minds of Russians, whose savings were vaporized, who, turned, uh, who were turned off their homes by thugs who lost their jobs and pensions, democracy became a swear word. People in governments who now claim to despise Vladimir Putin for his aggression, for his suppression of freedom, and for his corruption did not seem to be bothered by these things when his forerunner, Boris Yeltsin, did them. It is a fascinating contrast, and that is a really good point. That is a really good point. Uh, people who were pro-Soviet in some ways are very sympathetic to actual human rights abuse Soviet dictators, right? Uh, who, who, you know, did even more than Putin to abuse human rights are now all of a sudden really against Putin. And why? What's the standard there? If they're going to be consistent, they should be against both, right? So um, he, he basically says that the West failed in, in the aftermath uh, they, they tried to take advantage of Russia in, in a way economically. Um, and he says that's still happening. There was an article um, that I read uh, that I thought was interesting as well. Let's see if that's that's not next on the list. I'm going to get there. Actually, let's just go there real quick. Uh, there's two articles by a guy named Eric uh, Zeus, who's written for the Huffington Post and another of the other publications that are actually you know more on the left, uh, I, we would say. But he, he writes, and, and these are on some... Um, some some not mainstream websites these articles but he has a, an article from 2018 uh, how and why the u.s government perpetuated the 2014 coup in ukraine fascinating uh i just recommend people check it out uh and, and maybe i don't know if everything is completely 100 percent, but there's there's certainly some of the things he cites and he, he gives some sources are worth lo looking into uh and then you have uh, the real history behind ukraine putin and the eu gas and donbass that uh, he wrote today from the USSA News. This one's interesting because he he makes an economic argument for what's going on and just talks about how uh, you know this could be related to uh, a pipeline uh, and and the U.S. want not wanting Russia to uh, have influence economic influence with Western Europe through supplying them with uh, gas. Um, uh, instead, they want uh, the natural gas from the United States. So that, that's the argument here. Now, look, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. These are just these articles from, uh, from uh, Eric Zeus are ones I'm just throwing out there as these are interesting. I'm not saying I buy all this, and I'm not sure exactly to what extent. Uh, I, I just don't know a lot about them. So I, I don't, I'm not putting my name behind them. I'm not endorsing them other than to say they're interesting to look at and maybe – you know, some of you might take it farther, and if you're into this kind of thing, uh, it, they may, may give you some leads. Um, but it goes along with what Peter Hitchens was saying in this about uh, trying to take advantage of Russia uh, economically and uh, to keep them as a weak state that supplies certain needed uh, things for the West, but uh, not letting them grow past a certain point. So that's Peter Hitchens. Uh, I think Tucker Carlson, by the way, is doing a pretty good job on this stuff from what I can tell. And so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't watch Fox News, to be honest, or listen to their reporting on this situation on the radio. But I think Tucker Carlson actually is, is looking at this fairly. Uh, and then uh, I wanted to show you, so the political parties, I, I said that there were some uh, neo-Nazi political parties. I was a little skeptical at first, and then I started, I looked into it, and here's the Wikipedia um, 
pages for the three big ones. Savoboda, uh, Savoboda, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, and that's the All Ukrainian Union. Uh, they are they are one of these groups. You have uh, the Right Sector is another one of these groups, and then the National Corps. Uh, and these are uh, I, I think they're all political parties in Ukraine. And uh, so that's what Putin was talking about when he was talking about the the Nazi the neo Nazi stuff in Ukraine. Um, I haven't looked into them deeply, but apparently they do exist. And they do have way more prominence than uh, any kind of a neo-Nazi group in the United States would. Uh, and then you have uh, what I think is the big, the really what to look for right now. The, the bigger threat in my mind to the United States. Russia and China agreed to a no-limits relationship at the Beijing Olympics. This is from The Blaze, February 5th, 2022, earlier in the month. And it talks about Vladimir Putin meeting with President Xi Jinping. And... Let's just say they had a good conversation, and they talked about Taiwan, and they talked about Ukraine, and uh, to me, this tells you a lot of what you need to know about Putin, right there, right there. Uh, I don't think this is a, we, we, yeah, be careful of this guy. At the same time, uh, he, he may feel like his options are limited, and if he wants uh, his, if he wants Russian greatness and a good economy and his people to prosper, he may feel that he's got to go to China. Um, because the West doesn't want him. I don't know. Maybe that's going on in this as well. But uh, certainly concerning, and uh, Xi Jinping, uh, you know, that's a bad dude. That is definitely a bad dude. And uh, birds of a feather uh, do tend to flock together sometimes. Um, and I don't know to what extent their relationship is. If it, Maybe it's just a, a uh, the beginning of just being cordial to one another. But it looks deeper than that. It does look deeper to that than that to me. Uh, and so, uh, of course, when you're a president, you do have to meet with other presidents. That doesn't mean you're endorsing everything they do. But, but this article seems to indicate that there's, there's deeper connections forming. Uh, and then you have this. This is uh, the 24th. So Taiwan reporter reports nine Chinese aircraft in defense zone. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Seriously. Uh, is this making any news? <laughs> it's on the Hill. But, I mean, this is concerning to me. Uh, is, is, I, I had that thought as soon as everything started going down with Russia. Is China going to try to take advantage of this and say, well, we're going into Taiwan now? Uh, that could very well be the case. Well, I want to read something for you. This is from George Washington's farewell address. And this is often quoted by, and, I don't know if I want to say anti-war. Sometimes it's anti-war. Sometimes it's just... Um, people who, you know, they could be isolationists, but it's also, I think, just also people, because I, I wouldn't put myself in either of those categories at all. We, war is a fact of life, and it, it happens. Uh, it's throughout the, all of human history, including the, in the Bible. If you open it up, you're going to find a lot of war, and it's unavoidable um, It's it, sometimes. So I, 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 I don't think that George Washington, who is a general, is making an anti-war claim in what I'm about to read for you. But what he is doing is he's warning about the, what could be an entangling alliance, a situation where the United States can, it, it gets involved in business which really isn't its own. And this is something I think we need to think about more. Now, maybe it is our business to, to be more involved in Ukraine, but um, maybe it's not. And, and perhaps uh, this situation has been somewhat instigated 
or not helped along by some of the actions taken in previous administrations. So this is what George Washington said, our detached and distant situation invites and enables us to pursue a different course. If we remain one people under an efficient government, the period is not far off when we may defy material injury from external annoyance. When we may take such an attitude, as will cause the neutrality we may at any time resolve upon to be scrumptuously respected. When belligerent nations under the impossibility of making acquisitions upon us will not lightly hazard the give, uh, giving us provocation, when we may choose peace or war as our interests guided by justice shall counsel. Why forego the advantages of so peculiar, uh, peculiar a situation? Why quit our own to stand up upon foreign ground? Why, by interweaving our destiny with that of any part of Europe, entangle our peace and prosperity in the toils of European ambition, rivalship, interest, humor, or caprice? It is our true policy to steer clear of permanent alliances with any portion of the foreign world. So far, I mean, as we are now at liberty to do it. For let me not be understood as capable of patronizing infidelity to existing engagements. I hold the maxim no less applicable to public than to private affairs than honestly, that honestly is always the best policy. I repeat it, therefore, let those engagements be observed in their genuine sense. But in my opinion, it is unnecessary and would be unwise to extend them. Uh, George Washington warned about getting involved in the affairs of Europe, that this would uh, tie us into things that could hurt us, that wouldn't be in our best interest. And I'm seeing the wisdom in this more and more. I didn't used to see it as much. I, I remember hearing it quoted all the time, but I used to think, well, that was back then, you know, to, we live in a different time, and we do. But I'm seeing that this there was something underneath this. There was a, a bigger principle at work here, and uh, some of the things that are some some of the wise things that Scripture even tells us about individual relationships, uh, such as uh, not to get involved in things that aren't our business, uh, can apply in a foreign context uh, or a, a, a much larger context, I, I believe as well. There's general principles of wisdom, uh, and that's one of them. Uh, in fact, it's foolish to get involved with things that uh, are not uh, in, that, that we can't really do much good about. We can sometimes make it worse. And, and things that uh, are really, that have a cost. There's a big cost that comes with this kind of thing. The Bible says that in Proverbs twenty six seventeen, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Um, that's, that's just a general truth. And, and so I wonder whether or not that applies in a situation like this. Now, we may be past that. With all the involvement we've had, with the funding we've given to Ukraine, we may have a responsibility there at this point. And I'm totally open to that. But uh, this is some wisdom that I wish would be taken more seriously in foreign policy in general. And uh, with that said, uh, and I know there's there's many... I, I can sense already the people listening. Uh, some of you out there may, uh, may be saying, John, I'm with, and I totally understand this is the way, way I feel about it. Others may be saying, we, we need to, you know, there's human rights abuses, there's people dying, we, we got to get involved. And uh, to you, I'd say, we, how much? How, how, where? What's the responsibility of the government? It's to its own people. We have limited resources. We, we can't, um, in fact, in this situation, we really don't have the resources at this point, to, to get involved with a conflict with a nuclear power in, in the way that I think some would like to, perhaps. And maybe we still will, but it's, um, we, we're in bad shape economically. When, when you just look at the national debt. Uh, we, we have a housing bubble right now. 
Uh, we have gas prices that are just going up. Um, we have domestic strife. We have a bigger problem with China. We, we have a lot of things going on right now that make it very difficult to get involved in a foreign conflict like this. We only have limited resources. And so th there's been bloodshed going on in Ukraine for the last eight years. And if, I mean, if that's the way you feel, then maybe, why, why didn't we just do something about it then? And, but we left some things unresolved. Um, we left, with even the borders of Ukraine are pretty much unresolved at this point. And, and that's been a problem for eight years now. Eight years. So I want to uh, talk about the hypocrisy I see in all this. Um, you have a crowd in the United States that likes open borders at our own southern border won't defend our own sovereignty, but somehow thinks it's important to do all we can to defend Ukraine's sovereignty and protect her borders. I find that interesting. I find it interesting that we live in a country where there's a large contingent of people who call anyone a Nazi who disagrees with them, but then think it's so important to defend Ukraine when, there, uh, when there's a large, larger, much larger contingent of neo-Nazi types that are uh, in the anti-Russian side and that uh, Vladimir Putin is actually kind of declaring war on. He wants to denazify Ukraine. I just find that interesting. Would that make Vladimir Putin Antifa? He's anti-fascist. He's going in to take care of the fascists. Uh, but, you know, we have a whole group of people that are, you know, totally in their minds, anti-fascist, anti-Nazi, anti-nationalist, and then they want to support Ukrainian nationalists and, and Nazis, in a sense, uh, in some way. Now, look, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to support Ukraine. What I'm saying is I'm pointing out hypocrisy here. Uh, and, and, the, and they're just trying to call Putin Hitler. It's interesting to me that they, they have to turn even the person who's saying I'm, I'm against the Nazis into the Nazi. And, I, you know... Soviet Union and Germany did have an alliance for a short time, but actually the Soviet Union was instrumental in defeating Nazi Germany. Ukraine, historically, hate to say it, but they, they were not on the same side as Russia in that conflict. And then you have um, popular sovereignty. A lot of people believe that people should choose democracy, popular sovereignty. And yet they don't, they want popular sovereignty, sovereignty for Crimea, uh, Crimea or the, the Donbass region. Uh, that you have a coup in 2014, a tampering with the situation. There's, there's a lot of corruption in Ukraine. Uh, the, the oligarchs, uh, it's kind of a fusion of the Ukrainian mob, biz, big business, and po politicians. And, I mean, this has been, this oligarchy, it's not really a, a democracy so much as an oligarchy, has been in place for decades. And, and so that's the defending democracy, I guess. But the U.S. has been involved with um, corruption, even our own president in Ukraine, and uh, tampering with the government there, and somehow if Putin does it, though, it's uh, in any way he, he's an aggressor. And, and he, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying we, we've got some problems here. I'm not, what I'm trying to say is I'm not so sure that the United States is the good guy in all of this, in everything. I know there's a certain crowd out there. I know, rah rah rah, America, America is right or wrong. They're all, you know, I'm not there, guys. I I can see what our government's done domestically, and I'm not under any illusion that they're not doing the same kind of things uh, in the across the ocean somewhere. I, I mean, the things we fund, the things that 
the trying to pressure African nations to embrace LGBT. I mean, that's one of the things Putin complained about. We're, we're, we're not a righteous country anymore. We're not characterized. And I should say our government, our government is not a righteous government. There's corruption there. There's evil there. So um, that we're pure as the driven snow and Ukraine's pure as the driven snow and Putin's black, it could be that we're, we're both have some problems here. Um, but there's some hypocrisy. The, uh, the other thing, uh, we, in this one, I already mentioned this, the, the pro-Boris Yeltsin but anti-Putin thing. Um, I've also noticed, and this is the only comment I'm really going to make about the social justice and Christianity stuff. I have noticed there are evangelical leaders who are very pro-Ukraine right now who didn't say much about Canada and the situation going on up there. And I, I just, I'm just saying there's a selectivity that seems to be happening with what what countries and what situations to pray for. I think we should pray for Ukraine, absolutely. I'm also praying for Canada. I think we should also pray for our country right now. I think we should be praying for China and all our Christian brothers who are being persecuted there and in the Muslim world. And, and certainly Ukraine is on that list. Consequences for us, uh, gas prices are going to go up. There may be more dire economic consequences. I'm not entirely sure. It won't stop Putin. Sanctions have been tried before. Um, I watched Biden's speech. And it was actually one of his more lucid speeches in my mind, the one he gave today. But it lacked strength. It was vague. What Biden seems to want to do is to create a peer pressure that the whole world is against Putin. And then when he's asked afterward, what, what about China? He has no comment on it because, and that's the real question, because China and Putin are forming a relationship. And Biden, Biden is trying to get a global community to oppose Putin and that Putin's going to really, Putin's going to bend to this because that's what Biden would bend to probably. John Kerry was out on some, some some uh, some Middle Eastern, I think, uh, station of some kind, and they were interviewing him, and he was just saying, "Man, I hope Putin remembers that global warming and climate change. Global climate change is the big problem right now. I hope he doesn't stop, you know, con being concerned with climate change. That that was his whole concern with all this, which I thought was interesting. These are the kind of things that aren't going to work. Putin's not thinking about that. It, one of the things you have to understand is if if you have an enemy, you got to know your enemy." You have to understand what kinds of things are important to your enemy. And these are not the pride. Putin doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks. He cares about Russia. That's, that's kind of who he is. And he'll get allies where, wherever that will serve him. Um, it lacks strength. It lacked, look, if you're, if you're going to, I think that's one of the reasons this didn't happen under Trump. Trump would have threatened probably a military action and he would have meant it. And, to be honest with you, it probably wouldn't have gotten to this point with Russia. There probably would have been a better negotiation process. I haven't, I don't know exactly what's gone on with those the negotiation process, but uh, my suspicion is it hadn't been going too well, and and that's what's led to a lot of this. So there there are my thoughts for you on this whole situation in Ukraine and with Russia, 
And I know this is probably, at the time you're listening, this is probably developed even further. But th this is what I've been thinking about uh, in regards to this. I, I don't plan on spending a lot more time on it, but the situation, like I said, it may develop quite a bit. So we may talk about it a little bit next week. I understand this isn't what I primarily focus on. And, and I need to say this, I'm, I'm totally open to um, changing perspectives on things if uh, there's more information provided. So certainly uh, if you disagree or if you have other websites or information that you wanna share, please do so in the comments section. And uh, I may or may not, but I'll try to, to read what I can. And uh, this is a situation that is interesting me at the moment because uh, I think it, it, it is important. Um, but uh, th those hopefully understand the way I'm looking at it and what my principles are uh, when I look at any situations. I really want to go back to the primary sources and then find uh, secondary sources and commentary from people who are knowledgeable and steeped in those primary sources and able to provide analysis from a, a worldview that's at least somewhat similar to mine. Uh, and so not someone who uh, is, they, their worldview is so far out there that they, they're not, they don't recognize that humans are evil, let's say, or they don't recognize what actually you know, is uh, driving uh, someone like a Putin to do what he does. Um, there's something called sin. We need to understand that. So uh, I, I like to find, like Peter Hinchins is a, is a Christian and, a, um, and he knows something about the Soviet Union. He lived there. You know, so that's someone I, I find his opinion interesting. Right? So those are the kinds of people I like to, to listen to on these topics. The mainstream media right now, just I, I think, is failing us. And so that's the reason I wanted to make this podcast. I hope it was helpful for some of you. And, and if you disagree, I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, but send me the sources that you like and, and I'll make your case. I'll, I'll be certainly willing to hear it. God bless. More coming later uh, in the week. Bye now. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.